morning. My name is Jane Dorman, if we have not met before, and I serve here at White Oak on our teaching team, and something else you should know about me is I am a lover of stories. I love to read books. I'm always looking for book recommendations, and this morning, I want to add one to yours if you are a book lover as well. Recently, I had the pleasure of reading this memoir called The Hiding Place. It's by a woman named Corey Ten Boom, and some of you may be familiar with Corey, but Corey Ten Boom lived a remarkable life and has a remarkable story to share. The Hiding Place is a memoir. It explores her life of her family, their experience during World War II, and the development of Corey's faith journey throughout. You see, Corey and her family lived in Netherlands in a town called Harlem, and they lived during a time where Nazi Germany was taking over. And they played a significant role in resisting the Nazis by providing a hiding place for Jews and for others that needed to escape. They helped around 800 people escape capture before they were betrayed and arrested by the Gestapo. Corey describes her story in great detail. Her writing style, it feels like you were walking alongside her through all the events and the terrible things that she had to endure. Amidst the chaos, Corey and her sister Betsy, they came into possession of the copy of the New Testament. You got to understand her family, they were devout Christians. And Corey just begged God and prayed, if I could just get my hands on a Bible, something, and the Lord provided in a miraculous way. Every night, she and Betsy would immerse themselves in the Bible's words. They would find peace. They would find renewal despite their surrounding circumstances, especially when they finally arrived at Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp. While they were there, they were exhausted from the journey. They were plagued by illness, they were gripped by fear of the unknown that awaited them, and then they finally arrived to their living quarters, Barracks 28. Let me paint you a picture of the living conditions that they had to endure in Barracks 28. Barracks 28 originally was intended for 400 occupants, and it housed a staggering 1,400 residents. Upon entering the room, they were met with an overpowering stench emanating from backed-up plumbing, soiled mattresses, and putrid bedding. Their beds were consisted of stacked piers. They were packed into these rooms. They were three levels high, and they crammed layers of people on these stacks. It was not individual bedding. Layers of people laying on top of each other. And to compound their misery, the straw was infested with fleas all around them. It was gross. <laughs> Barracks 28 was an abyss of darkness. It was filled with bitterness. Corey witnessed anger and violence against the residents, not only from the German guards, but from each other. They were in... Um, and Corey in this moment, could not help but question, God, why did you let this happen? Why are we here? She started to lose hope. And then her sister Betsy spoke up. You see, Betsy, man, she was relentless. She 
focused on God throughout this entire event. Every single day, she focused, she cherished God's word, and she reminded Corey of the power of their gratitude and their prayers, trusting that God would show up, just like the Bible would tell them. So they prayed. Betsy led that charge, and Corey reluctantly joined her. And they thanked God for everything and for everyone, even the fleas. And then something shifted in the atmosphere of Barracks 28. The residents, Corey noticed their attitudes began to change. The anger, the bitterness infused into grace and compassion. And then they also noticed that for some reason in the barracks, their dormitory had little to no supervision, which allowed them to hold worship services discreetly in the dormitory, and she said those were her favorite moments in the concentration camp. She got a glimpse of heaven, of people of different dialects joining them, sharing their stories, their testimonies, singing worship in different languages to God. She was seeing a glimpse of heaven in the midst of this living hell they were experiencing here on earth. My friends, in the darkness, God's truth shines most clear. Despite their circumstance, Betsy and Corey Ten Boone, they kept their focus on God, and because of that, they were blessed. You see, this whole summer, the last few weeks, we're in this series, and we've been talking about this term, blessed. We're defining it as a spiritual reward that is experienced both in the present and in the future, and when, then that only happens when we wholeheartedly surrender to Jesus. And my question for you this morning is this. Do you believe that that's true? Because on, if I'm honest with you, when I think of the term blessed, my initial thoughts go to my circumstances and whether they're good or not. When things go according to plan, I'm blessed. When I have enough money in my bank account, I'm blessed. When I find someone that I get to share my life with, I am blessed. And man, when my kids will eat a vegetable at the dinner table without gagging, yes, I am blessed. Those examples make sense. In some of the darkest moments of Corey's story, I empathize with her. How could she be so blessed in such dire circumstances? And then I thank God for Betsy. She reminds us we don't allow our circumstances to dictate the blessing. We call on God to help us see with new eyes the beauty behind the veil of darkness. I mean, what if this spiritual reward that we so desperately yearn for isn't tied to a thing or a circumstance or a dream that we may have? What if, at its core, the ultimate spiritual reward is simply God himself? The Beatitudes boldly proclaim Jesus' intention to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, ushering in genuine peace and freedom for all who have the courage to follow him as his disciples. And it's through those disciples that his kingdom will bring blessings to people from all walks of life. That's why it is so crucial that we 
understand the foundation of our identity. Because Jesus is clear. Where we anchor our roots of identity, it influences our way of life. As we walk through this refining process that we're presented through the Beatitudes, it's God's grace that's at work within us that transforms us and ultimately draws us closer to God's heart. And so today, our big idea is this. You are blessed when your heart is right. You are blessed when your heart is right. Have you ever stopped to consider how deeply God cares about your internal posture versus your external circumstance? Our beatitude of the day, Matthew 5, 8, alludes to this when it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My friends, we suffer from a fatal heart condition, and that prevents us from seeing God, from even drawing close to him. It separates us from God. And when Jesus came to earth, let me tell you, he knew the Israelites were suffering. He knew they were in exile. He knew they were being oppressed. And he also knew the unspoken expectation they had for him to come and make their external circumstances better. And he also knew that the healing and the true freedom would come not from freedom of physical circumstances. Jesus came to heal and free us from the brokenness that came from within. While the surrounding culture it was concerned with, with moral reform and religious practice, Jesus' entire ministry focused on the hearts of men and women. And I love how the book of Mark captures this reality when Jesus comes face to face with the Pharisees that are questioning Jesus about his disciples and their failure to follow Jewish rituals and traditions. Follow along with me in Jesus, uh, Jesus, in in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And it says, and then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Yeesh. That lurks in my heart. Because when I read this list, and I, 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 I focus on what Jesus is saying is coming out from, out from in me naturally, I feel deeply flawed. It doesn't matter to Jesus how good we look to him. We could say, you know, I'm a good person. I, I, I do, try to make decisions that don't hurt other people. I, I look good on the surface. Jesus knows and he sees those impurities that are lurking beneath the surface. And, you know, it kind of reminds me, I have a friend, and a few years ago, she actually had a really cool opportunity to be a part of a local home makeover show. And it was really neat because the room they decided to make over was their garage. 
And the garage, she really wanted a dining space. So they transformed her garage into a dining room. It was so cool. I watched the episode, and a few months later, I was able to go down and visit her and see it in person. And man, it was beautiful. The, the flooring just was so nice and new and fresh, and the paint was just such a perfect complement. It was really cool because the garage door is still kind of open, so you kind of can have like that outside feel with the indoor dining experience. And then my friend, while she was making dinner, she wanted me to take the garbage out for her, so I was willing to do that, and I picked up the garbage, and I went out, and I twisted the knob on the door that, you know, from the garage to the outside, and I pulled on it, and the doorknob came out of this hinge, like in my hand. And I was like, I just broke her new room. Oh my gosh, like, she's going to kill me. And so I sheepishly went back into the kitchen, and I was like, um, so I, I don't know my own strength. I just pulled this doorknob right out of your door, and she was like, oh yeah, it kind of it kind of does that. There were some, some flaws because it was such a fast, quick fix operation, and we're just, you know, living with it, but it's still pretty cool. And from the moment that happened, I started to notice the flaws in the design. That beautiful floor was actually misaligned in some spaces, and there were some gaps. Um, you know, my father-in-law is uh, in construction, so, like, he's taught me, like, what to look for, and I saw, like, the crooked pieces, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And then the, the toe kick that uh, was leading into the kitchen, it was not fully aligned to the front, and so you could trip over it so easily, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this design is flawed. There is brokenness, and you know what? Jesus sees the brokenness of our design, even if we're not aware of it. And the moment we become aware of it, you start to see these flaws that he's talking about in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. His entire ministry, Jesus's, was aimed at the source of all evil, and that is the condition of our hearts. And that is the part of us that holds our deep desires, our thoughts, our emotions, and it's ultimately the source of all the decisions that we make, and the decisions that we make ultimately lead our lives. He knew that until the heart was pure, our lives would never be clean. And every beatitude embodies this idea. And today's goes straight for the jugular because Jesus didn't say blessed are the pure in language or pure in action. He didn't say blessed are the pure in practice tradition. No, Jesus said blessed are the pure in heart. So what does that exactly mean, though? What does pure of heart really mean? And there really is no explicit definition in the Bible. There's a ton of verses that talks about our purity and the purity of heart. So as I examined all these verses, I simply put together this working definition. And a pure heart solely focuses on God, and it's transformed to be like him. And that is the greatest calling on our lives God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be like himself. He wants us to conform to his character. In 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it kind of alludes to this idea of what, of what God is doing. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, 
We are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. The only one who can purify us, the only one who can teach us to conform to God's character is God himself. There's this phrase, you know, I grew up in the church, and we use this phrase called born-again Christian. When we use that phrase, born-again, that's what we're talking about, an inner renewal of our sinful nature that is divinely renewed. We cannot enter or even see the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish here on earth unless we are renewed by God through his grace. The promises of God and the blessing of this gift of grace belong to those who are made pure in heart. And without God, no one will have access. So as we meditate on this idea today, I have three considerations for you as we look at what it is, what it means to have this purification of heart. Those three considerations, this impurity of heart leads to spiritual blindness. Glorious sight is restored through purified hearts. And the purification of the heart is a divine process. We'll start with number one, impurity of heart. It leads to spiritual blindness. Now, as mentioned earlier, we are all born into spiritual blindness. It's a result of the brokenness of this world. We all sin. We all fall short from God's expectation. We all possess impurities in our heart that hinder us from seeing clearly. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19, it reminds us of this. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. And you know, this verse, it actually makes me think of what it feels like to be in a dark room without any light. In total darkness, this is the light that the world can offer us. When we walk around stumbling in the world's truth, this is our reality. Now, right now, if we got up here, if it was totally pitch black, we'd be stumbling over each other trying to find the exit. We might even get frustrated or angry every time we ran into an obstacle that got in our way. This is what we exist in. And you see, when we are walking around with impurity of hearts, and we walk around in this darkness of the truth that the world offers, God's light is trying to get through. But our impurity of heart has this veil over our eyes that we cannot see. There are things lurking inside us that are, are being an obstacle for us to see clearly. And I want us to consider for a minute how offensive the gospel message is when we hear it with impure hearts. You're hearing a message that says you're broken. You're unworthy. You're sick. You are not able to be in the presence of your creator. And that's what we hear when we hear the gospel message with the impurities latching on into our hearts. But you see, it's not until our hearts encounter the light of God's truth that God starts to remove the veil. 
And now we are able to navigate this life in his light. And that's what he's trying to do in purifying our hearts. And this is the frustration that we often meet when the sacred butts up against the brokenness of this world. I love the picture that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, paints for us. That if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Who is the exact likeness of God. Because you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness had made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. You see, the light of God's truth will always reveal the impurities that lurk within us. And that takes great humility to receive. Until we read the promises of God and then we experience it for ourselves and then we reap the benefit of understanding and that's when we create space for deeper connection with God. Our hearts will be ready to receive those deeper truths and reveal his light in our hearts to a lost world that is struggling to understand. This process of purification is one we will encounter over and over and over and over again until we die. And if we surrender to God, he will reveal and he will refine our sight so that we can see his glory everywhere, every single time. Number two, our glorious sight restores through purified hearts. When we receive God's truth, When we're transformed by his grace, our color goes from gray, our color, our sight goes from gray to technicolor. Life is no longer this two-dimensional thing that we just got to get through. It is an immersive 4D experience with God every single day. I mean, you just look outside, nature. Nature becomes alive of God's goodness. It is a living, breathing, creative expression of our creator God. I love, you know, I love science. I think it's such a neat tool. And the more I study science and I look at things from the physical perspective, the emotional, the mental perspective, I see God and all his intricacies, how complex he made me and how complex he made you and how good that all is. Everything becomes alive with the pulse of God's power and glory through his creation when we have new eyes to see. This book right here, when we have pure hearts, this book becomes alive. It is no longer this crazy book of 
of weird stories of talking animals and miraculous healings and inspiring stories that may encourage me to live a good life, you know. Um, this book is a living, breathing masterpiece. It holds God's words for me. And I got to tell you, in my walk with Jesus, I've been reading the Bible for some time now, and there are verses in here that hit different in different seasons of my life. And that is what is miraculous about this book. This book is incredible. It gives us insight to who God is. It reminds us of his goodness. It is a lifeline for us. But we can only see that when our hearts are made pure through the blood of Jesus. Another thing that we begin to see, the church, it becomes a community it's of support and understanding of God through the people who belong to it. And this is where I kind of want to pause for a second. Because I do want to acknowledge that the church has also been a source of a lot of pain for some. Especially those who refuse to walk through its doors. We need to do better, church. We are carriers of light. We have potential to be catalysts for healing and community. And I'll be honest, it deeply saddens me whenever I hear news stories or see a new documentary that's on our streaming services, or even when I go back and I read stories from the collective history of the church. We have a dark past. There have been numerous moral failures. There are influential figures that we look up to living secret lives that are only known to God. There are power struggles. There are pursuits of fame that have sometimes overshadowed the purpose of revealing God's glory. This is how the world perceives the church. A group of hypocritical individuals that have no desire to be, they have no desire to be a part of because of our flaws, because of our mistakes, and because of our imperfections. So why do we stay? Why do we continue to be involved? Because we believe that the church is a place where we can encounter God despite our failures. We are imperfect. Okay? I'm imperfect. We gather because we understand that God uses us despite ourselves to challenge, to refine one another through diverse perspectives. We hold each other accountable and we witness the transformative power of God in changing our hearts. The church is a source of healing only when we allow God to purify us, to purify our hearts. Jesus' sacrifice is what grants us access to God because his blood is the only thing that purifies our hearts. Persistently seeking God will equip and commission us to go out into the world and to re represent his light in all the spaces he calls us to. My friends, we're not called to isolate from the world. We are not called to create this division between sacred and secular, no. We are called to focus our attention on God so we can have ears to hear, eyes to see that God is at work in the world all around us. Our, when our hearts are purified, we realize God is everywhere and you can't unsee it. 
And that leads me to our final consideration this morning. And that is that the purification of the heart is a divine process. Purification is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that cleanses the soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12 tells us this. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. My friends, the Beatitudes that we've been walking through this summer, they guide us on this transformative journey. I see this thread that navigates us through this divine purification process, and this is what it's leading us to. The first three Beatitudes lead us to an emptying of ourselves Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In our own human strength, we will fall short of choosing God's love every single time. We get distracted by worldly pursuits that will not sustain us as we were originally designed. Jesus calls us to acknowledge our brokenness. He invites us through God's guidance into our emptiness. Idols like job titles, promotions, relationships, success, those will divert us from our true identity. Jesus invites us to declutter our hearts and to refocus on God. And when we are brought to this emptiness, it creates a spiritual hunger in us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our hearts yearn for what only God can provide. That's our opportunity to let God come in and to cleanse us and to fill us with his spirit, removing what does not belong. And as God fills us, we become holy, with a W, transformed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That mercy entails receiving what we don't deserve, and as followers of Christ, we're motivated to extend that mercy to others. Purity of heart comes from spiritual renewal through God's grace, and that enables us to see God in every single aspect of our life. As peacemakers, we embody goodness in people's lives. We reflect God's mercy and our purified hearts. That is the fruit that will manifest in our lives as a result of God's grace working within us. By following Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us, our hearts turn from sin and will align with God's desires. We pursue holiness, longing to be in God's presence. And this is the process of purification. We have access to this purification if we genuinely desire a renewed heart, transformed by the free gift of God's grace when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life. Purification is not achieved through personal efforts alone. 
It requires total reliance on God's power to restore what is right, beautiful, and good within us. We must trust and we must fully rely on him, giving thanks in all circumstances, knowing that the Father is always at work within us, teaching us to see God in every aspect of our life. But the key part to this divine process is that we keep our focus on God, not what's happening around us. What's captured your attention today? What impurities are you wrestling with? Is God really hard to see in your season right now? If you're in a dark season or or if you're just struggling, I'm going to invite you to invite God into that conversation about it. He wants to meet you in that mess. He wants to declutter what is in your heart. He wants to restore and renew you. If you need prayer this morning, feel free to come down front. We would love to pray with you, but do not leave today without having that conversation with God because you are blessed when your heart is right. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are a God of mercy and you are a God of love and you are a God of goodness and you do not leave us to stumble through this darkness of this world. Thank you for always pursuing us. Thank you for chasing after us. Thank you for purifying us and giving us a chance to have access to you. Father, I just pray a special prayer in this room. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. If there is someone here today that just needs to have renewed sight, I ask that they would surrender their hearts to you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.